One thing, I think we've made it really, really clear, our position, you know. Our position is we're called to be biblically over and over again compliant to and submissive to the governing authorities unless they contradict Scripture. Even when the governing authorities seem unreasonable, you're supposed to be compliant according to Scripture unless they tell you to, to break a command in Scripture. So we, that has been what we've said all along. I've said that for years, knowing these times. Didn't know we'd all be, you know, running around with masks on, but knowing these times were coming, I had people come to me, Joe, you were saying that Jesus, when it says nation against nation, there would be ethnic group against ethnic group and lawlessness, and it's all happening just like you were preaching all these years. And I said, it's not because I'm a genius. I'm preaching what the Word of God says. That's what Jesus said would happen, you know? I'm just telling you what he was saying. I was just getting into the Greek. Ethnos against ethnos is nation against nation, and the Greek is ethnic against ethnic. And as Christians, we recognize we're all from God. We're all created by God, I should say. And all of us could be born again and be part of the family of God. Red, brown, yellow, black, or white, there's no distinction, amen, at the cross. So we preach the, the biblical love of God that he created everybody in his image, which is contrary to the Darwinistic thing, which pits races against races, and certain people are more involved than others and so forth. And at the same time, we saw a lot of this coming, but uh, one thing I try to make clear over and over again, we always will try to obey the scripture when it says to be obedient or submissive to the government unless the government tells us to do things that are contrary to the word of God. We're commanded by the Lord God not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Okay, I don't even think I've ever set out to memorize that scripture. It was just memorized probably the first, second, third time I saw it because it's such an important principle in scripture. So even when there was a lockdown, we were still getting together. And, and, and even when they would say, ah, you know what, you can, you know, you can only have family, you know. I'm sorry, I'm getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. We still did that. And we're doing that now. But guess what? We're right now, the, the law allows us to meet together outside in fellowship, okay. If you want to wear a mask, great. There's no law that you have to wear a mask, okay. So where I'm at with these things is what does the Scripture say? And last time I gave a study... I emphasize, I shouldn't say last time, because last time I spoke on the law. Are we under the law of Moses from last Sunday? But the Sunday before that, before I went to the mission trip to Mexico, I did a message on how biblically uh, we are called to go the extra mile, you know. We're called to obey the laws of the land. And, we're, and I said, if it means we're in a mask in certain context, like from our understanding, the law, you're outside, you don't have to wear a mask. You know, but at the same time, if you have to wear a mask in a certain context because of the law, whatever you believe about the mask, one way or another, and there's two poles, there's a lot of people in the middle, and then there's two radical extremes on both sides on the mask. Whatever you believe on it, scripturally speaking, uh, it doesn't disobey, you don't break God's word by wearing a mask, so you obey the government, and I emphasize that. And Jesus, remember, he paid the temple tax, and he, Peter questioned about, you know, should we pay the temple tax? And he said, do the sons of the kings pay the temple tax, Peter, or the citizens? And Peter's like, well, yeah, the sons don't pay, just the citizens. Jesus, Jesus pointed out to him, he's the son of God, he doesn't need to pay it. But he said, pay it anyway, so we don't offend, amen? That's a powerful thing, especially when he took a whip and he cleansed the temple because of the corruption in the temple. And other people were refusing, like the Sadducees would only pay once a year, the Essenes didn't pay at all, you know? Uh, so it's kind of interesting when Jesus, I point out, said, go the extra mile, there was a law that a Roman soldier, and, and Rome was a wicked government. He could tap you on the back and say, you have to, it was a law, you have to carry my bags for a mile. Can you imagine you're going to work? You can't be late again. And you get a tap on the back. And you've got to carry in the opposite direction for a mile. And Jesus says, don't go one mile. When someone asks you to go a mile with them, go how many? Two. Because we're supposed to be great examples as, as I emphasize, we're ambassadors for Christ. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. So we're called to be above reproach. And the word reproach I point out to you in the Greek means to be innocent regarding the law. However, there's a whole other thing going on. While we're called to be submissive to government, when government tells us to disobey an edict of the word of God, a command from scripture, and it's diametrically opposed to what God calls us to do, we obey God over man. We, lead we obey Jesus over Caesar. Amen? And that's got to be absolute in our hearts. God help us to do that. So our emphasis has been from the very beginning... From the very beginning, because some people will go to the extreme like, this is the you know, government overreach, it's the mark of the beast, it's the end of the world, it's the seals being popped, oh no. And I'm like, wait a second, man, one of my first messages, this is not the seals being popped right now, okay? This is not the mark of the beast. Temple's not even being rebuilt right now, okay? Uh, I went through a lot, I went through different scriptures and so forth. Don't freak out. Jesus said when birth pains begin, don't be alarmed, the end is not yet. Why do you say that? 
Because a lot of people would say, the end is the end. The sky's falling before it was actually falling. And by the way, the sky will roll up like a scroll. So you know, I'm in a prophecy. You know, you know where we're at. We believe it is going to happen. We believe these are harbingers uh, and, and birth pains that are leading up to the end for sure. But I believe that's a bit. But then there's the other side. And you've got to be really careful. And I'm not saying if you're taking one side or another, you're the most extreme. But I'm talking about the most extreme where it's like, we just need to have anarchy, you know, and we need to go to the streets and, and burn buildings down to change the government, and get violent, you know, and we're seeing that happen, you know, or, do, you know, uh, and so forth. We have to be very, very careful right now that we do not lose focus on the fact that we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If we're truly Christians, we're going to obey his word, amen, including what he says and how we relate to government. And if I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I reject what he says about how I'm supposed to relate to government, am I really following Jesus? Because he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And why do you call me Lord and do not what I say? So I have to say, what do you say here, Lord? And I'm not saying it's easy. It can be difficult at times. Okay? But I have a mediating position. And I don't have a mediating position because I'm political. If you know me, I'm the least political person you'd ever meet. It's what does God's word say. I have a mediating position because I believe this. I believe... I believe that the whole coronavirus thing is radically being overblown by the left in certain ways to cause panic, to cause fear, to cause allowance of the citizenry to say, hey, take care of us, tell us whatever we're going to do. And it stifled the workforce. They didn't have to shut down all the country. There are huge areas in the country that didn't have to be shut down. Our economy didn't need to be destroyed to the degree that it was. Okay, And I, and I do believe that masks help to a degree. But, uh, you know, the studies have shown that that little, you know, those little... The, the virus, it's like stopping a, uh, almost like a chain leap fence, you know, and a bug. Although you'll stop some of it. So actually, you know, Trump's been all over the place on this. To be honest, he has. But he said something I thought, you know, I actually agree with that. He said, because I don't believe on the other extreme as well. Where, oh, it's not serious at all. Don't worry about grandma. Don't worry about affecting grandma. Don't worry about the African-American community and that they're more susceptible to it. Don't worry about those who have COPD and heart problems or diabetes or, uh, or, or elderly. And what, what in the world? You know, there ha has been shown that even though it's not as dangerous as the flu for certain age groups like young children, babies, it's far more serious for older folks. Now we're seeing less people die as I speak right now, even though there's more and more cases being reported because of all the testing. And that's not being reported that less people are dying in the liberal left mainstream media. So you're getting a lot of misinformation. But if you just listen to one news outlet all the time and you just listen to that and you don't look at both sides of the studies, I've seen a lot of contradictory studies. Okay, I mean, I really have. So it's hard to know who to believe. So where do I find my peace? Obeying the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. So one way or another, I need to make sure I don't forsake the seven of myself, ourselves together. So I don't believe it's this super pandemic that it was going to kill millions and millions of people in the United States. No, it wasn't a pandemic on that level. Do I believe it was a pandemic on some level that killed a lot of people? Yeah, worldwide, statistically, a lot of people died. There are people that lost four people that get together to play a poker game and three out of the four die of COVID, you know, two weeks later, okay? Uh, Miami Dolphins, you know, coach uh, Flores, he's a black coach. He said he lost three of his friends to black African-Americans to COVID-19. That's not, you don't usually say I lost three of my friends, friends to the flu. They're probably older folks though, but still. So we need to say, okay, you know what? It's a pandemic, not on the level as a pandemic that many who would want to see the Trump administration's uh, economy destroyed so they can get power back. That's what's going on in a lot of ways, if we're being honest, amen? And a lot of the numbers have been skewed. A lot of the reports as to how many people have COVID, I have no doubt, have been skewed, okay? At the same time, even though I don't believe it's as big and, and as they've tried to make it, I do believe it's still serious. People still die, so we should try to go the extra mile. But even if I didn't believe that, I would still say wear a mask in the context which the law tells you to because we're called to obey the laws of the land unless they tell us to disobey Scripture. Is wearing a mask disobeying Scripture? No, show me the verse, you know. So, and I'm not going to articulate it perfectly to everybody's because people are going to have different opinions. I know that. But if you know me, I preach my heart. And that's my heart on this whole issue. It's been, you ask my wife, this is my position I've taken for a long time. And sometimes my wife and I don't always disagree on it. And I got kids that don't always, dis, don't always agree on it, I should say. You know, praise God. But guess what? They choose to love each other. We don't divide over stupid issues like this. I mean, I think people, would, people don't care about issues that are just haywire false doctrine in the church. They don't say a peep about it. 
but also they'll divide with their brothers because of the mask issue. What in the world? That breaks my heart, you know. So make sure you don't let the enemy divide you from other Christians over such a silly issue, amen? Especially, as I emphasized a couple weeks ago in my message, I gave you passage after passage after passage after passage where the Lord calls us to unity in Christ, amen? Now, if somebody diverts from the word of God and is preaching a different Jesus, different gospel, amen, a different spirit, then we have to divide from them, amen? Because they're dividing themselves from us. But that's not what we're talking about with the mask issue. So if you're like, and praise God, I have to say, after I gave a message a couple weeks ago, all kinds of people came to me afterwards and then later through the next couple of weeks saying, man, I was like such an anti-masker, but from the scripture, over and over again, I heard this, over and over again. But now I'm, I, I got really convicted from that message, you know. I see, wow, you know what, I need to try to be compliant, you know, even though I kind of, and I've had people say, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm suffocating, I, anxiety, you know. And there's also some studies that show that if you wear a mask too long, it can be harmful to you. Okay, John Hebrew was sharing a Kalosha study where they're regulating how long people are actually wearing masks. So there's a whole other side of that issue, right? So the whole, I don't want to get in the mask thing fully blown in this message. I really want to get into, last time I talked about how we need to be compliant and submissive to the governing leaders unless they break scripture. And I gave some examples of that. But my examples that I gave of that were like rapid fire. I gave it five or six examples where they disobeyed the government because the government told them to do things that were unscriptural. What I want to do today is I want to get in the Word of God and explore some of those examples a little bit more because I just kind of gave them staccato, machine gun, boom, 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 boom. I want to look at, I want to have emphasize this message on the other side of the issue. When does God command us to commit civil disobedience? When does God command us to disobey the government? And he does at times, okay? And guess what? If the government says that Christians can no longer get together for fellowship, we're still getting together in one way or another. I mean, we'll try to do it safely, amen? We'll try to be wise about it, and that's, we're doing it the wisest way we can do it right now. Guess what? We're allowed to meet outside. Praise God. It's healthier outside. Praise God. Good witness. Amen? A lot of you that have a hard time wearing a mask, praise God, you know? Some people say, well, some people just don't want to wear the mask. Well, it's between them and God. You may say they're lying when they say it's great anxiety for them or whatever. I don't know the hearts of everybody, but that's between you and God but I believe that you should be trying to wear it unless there's a, a really good reason that you can't wear it, but then at the same time you can't wear it and you're in a situation where you may have a, a sickness or you do have the sickness or maybe you don't even know you have it, that you're not affecting people in a situation. So you gotta be really, really careful. I have a mother that's sitting over there it's in her mid-80s. I love you, mom. You know, And from the get-go, that gave me a perspective of people that, are, that could get this disease and die very easily because they're, they're older. You're not that old, mom. I'm already almost 60, so don't worry about that. But... uh. Anyway, she's more vulnerable than a lot of people, you know, and I realize she represents millions of people. And that's what love does. Love recognizes that you can hurt people by being, by trying to be rebellious to the government. It's like, wait a second, man. And at the same time, we all, most of us, hate government overreach, amen? But because there's some government overreach doesn't mean, and I don't agree with a governmental law, but I can't say it's unscriptural, doesn't mean I have the right to disobey it. I say there's a lot of stop signs I would love to blow through because I know there'd be no consequence. I don't do it, Okay. I don't just blow these stop signs. Although I have been tempted at times. I'm like, I'm going to go through, through three stop signs. I'm out hunting somewhere. There's nobody within 50 miles of me on a dirt road. I can just go right through them. But no, because God's still looking. <laughs> you know? He's still looking, and I serve an audience of one. And the scriptures are very clear. This is something we need to get our brains around. It's very, very serious. God puts an extremely high premium on obedience to authority. Not just his authority, but the authorities that he has established. First and foremost, he is the greatest authority. We have to keep that in perspective. Obeying the Lord. Obeying his word. Loving the Lord your God is the first and greatest, I should say, the greatest of the commandments Jesus said, with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Amen? That's, we have to submit to his authority. He talks about wives submitting to the authority of their husbands. Amen? He talks about uh, children submitting to the authority of their parents and obeying their parents. He says this is the first commandment with a promise. And it's in one of the Ten, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but it's repeated in the New Covenant. It's part of the law of Christ. Amen? And the Lord speaks of authority because he knows there's been a re the, the first rebellion was a rebellion against his authority by Satan and the fallen angels. He even warns about angelic, not, not or blaspheming angelic authorities and not recognizing their positions in Second Peter and the book of Jude. 
But also, the scriptures emphasize submission to governmental authorities and being submitted to them. And this was written by Peter and the Apostle Paul when the worst of the Roman empires, arguably, was in power. Caesar Nero. Think about that and think about what that entails. Now, if Caesar Nero encouraged them or told them they couldn't obey a certain scripture, boom, we're submitted to the government until that happens. When that happens, it's like I'm not submissive in that area because that's contrary to the word of God. Are you with me? Well, I want to give scripture to back all this up. And by the way, when Peter mentions, you know, and the apostle Paul mentions being submissive to governing authorities, governing rulers and potentates, kings, uh, uh, governors and what have you, uh, and even your employer, you know, even your employer and serving them not with eye service, Paul says. And Peter says, listen to what he says. And I think this is interesting. Not only those who are good and gentle. There's good and gentle cops. There's good and gentle authorities. But also those who are unreasonable. Catch that? So there's things that I think are unreasonable at times. But I don't die on that hill. I'm going to die on the Jesus hill, preaching the gospel, standing up for babies, standing up for the, the, the salvation message, standing up for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, it's interesting. When we look at these various scriptures, uh, in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says to Pastor Titus, this is why this reverberates in my heart so much. I love the pastoral epistles because, you know, Titus, First and Second Timothy. These are letters to pastors as to how the church is to be governed and things that are to be emphasized. And he says, listen to what Paul tells Pastor Titus. Remind them. That's a congregation. Can you guys hear me in the back pretty good? Praise God. How's the sound? Praise God for you guys that set up the easy ups and did the sound and set up this whole thing up. You guys are awesome. Remind them, not those guys, but the believers, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work. Did you catch that? I'm commanded to remind you to be submissive to rulers and authorities. So if I'm, say, doing the opposite, saying we need to rebel against this whole mass thing and give the government the finger, that's not in the spirit of Christ. That's not the word of God. Now, if the government says, you guys are not allowed to fellowship anymore as Christians, not allowed to leave your home, not allowed to get together and talk to other believers ever, and so forth, I wouldn't say give the government the finger, but I'd say, guess what? We're going to still get together in some way. We're going to find the most legal way we can get together. And if we can't get together at all, we're going to have to break the governmental law. And I'm saying this on live stream. I know eventually I could be one of those guys that's handcuffed because I encourage people to still love one another and still practice, you know, a proper social distancing and protective modes. But guess what? That will be left out, you know, and I could be hauled to prison. But we always have a backup plan. Don't worry, you know. I'll just have a prison ministry and God will carry on with y'all. <laughs> Easier said than done, but the Lord will help me. He's helped me through my entire life. Peter says basically this. And by the way, he says, be submissive to the rulers. That means to line up under rank and, follow, and, and submit to their authority. 1 Peter 2, 13. Be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, for the sake of Jesus. This is not for you. This is for Jesus and, his, and a witness to the lost and a witness to the angels as well. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor, Peter. Nero is wicked. The Roman government put our Lord to crucify him. We should rebel against him. No, that's not what he, Peter says. Peter will be crucified upside down later, okay, by Roman authorities. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13, I'm just going to read a couple verses because I read this a couple times ago, says every person is to be in subjection, submitted, to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. 
Temporarily, God will even allow evil governments to exist to accomplish his purposes because he's sovereign, because he's all-powerful, because he's allowed free moral agency and liberation free will. And he, will, he can move things around however he wants. He, no one can thwart him, and ultimately he has the last say because he's sovereign. But at the same time, he allows governing authorities to exist for a period of time. He destroys them. A year after Paul was beheaded by Nero, guess what? Nero was out, you know. But he didn't do it a year before Paul was beheaded. He goes on to say, therefore, whoever, he says, be submitted to the governing authorities. Then in verse 2, he says, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So if we resist authority, we're opposing God's word. Unless, of course, the governing authority is in opposition to God's word and what they're stating. You can say, well, the government is in opposition. They're not Christians. Well, either was Nero. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying be submitted even to the Nero's government. Unle- but, not that, but when you're submitted to the government, that doesn't mean you're obedient to everything they say. I'm submissive to the U.S. government, but I'm not going to be obedient to places where they tell me to do things that are unscriptural. Right when I heard and they were saying you can't sing in church, what did I say? You heard me. We're still praising God. I'm still praising God in church. I'm still singing, you know. I'm not going to be in somebody's face spreading germs singing, but I'm going to be wise about it. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. That's heavy. You know, a lot of people just love to dismiss Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, as though it's not scriptural, or they don't like it because there's a rebellious spirit sometimes toward the Word of God. It's the Word of God. You just have to see how does it fit, and how does it apply, and be honest about how it applies to you as a Christian. Now, it's interesting because I've mentioned to you this word, uh, this word here, resist, if you resist the governing authority, it means to arrange yourself as in battle against someone. It means to uh, violently or defiantly come against someone. So I'm called not to resist the government and but be submitted to it unless, of course, they tell me to do something that's unscriptural. That doesn't mean, I mean, I can show you really quickly, really, be, and I'll get into it maybe in a little bit, is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They disobeyed the Babylonian government, which they were under, which was a wicked government, a picture of the Antichrist government, in three specific ways, which we'll get into in a little bit. But guess what? They were radically submitted to the government and great citizens, and they even give a defense. There's even a defense given on how good citizens they were in the, in the Babylonian government. Until what? They were told to do something that was unscriptural. They still submitted in other areas, but they wouldn't obey things that were un, disobey anything that was unscriptural. Do you see the balance there? They're trying to be submitted to the government unless what? Something's unscriptural. They're being told to do something that's unscriptural. Now what's a trip is if you look at when Nero, Caesar Nero reigned, it was from 54. Remember, Jesus was crucified around 33 AD. Nero reigned just 20 years after that, from 54 to 68. 54 to 68. That was throughout the span of Paul's ministry, pretty much. Okay? His uh, Corinthians, which was probably his first epistle, was written in the early 50s. He died. He was beheaded by Nero, according to history, around 67. Nero lasted to 68. These things are being written when the most wicked emperor, you can argue, uh, of the Roman Empire, and there were a lot of wicked ones. Domitian, we could talk about a lot of them, uh, reigned. Nero, to give you an idea, this guy murdered his own mom, okay? And reportedly had an incestuous relationship with her. And we have re- records from Roman historians, Tacitus, Suetonius, Cassius Dio. These are Roman historians. Tacitus, first century Roman historian, okay? And it's interesting Suetonius wrote, virtually every part of his body had been employed, speaking of Nero, in filthy lust. He goes on to talk about how he would disguise himself, okay, with animal pelts, you know, and he would attack people, uh, and he even put them on stakes and attack their men and women, their bodily members. Uh, The historians tell us that he would dress up, he'd get out and do his thing as an emperor, and he'd go, dress up in animal skins, and he'd go and just beat people up and whip them and so forth. Just a wicked, sadistic person. I read one, his, one guy say, well, he wasn't evil. He was just sadistic. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Evil, sadistic, it's uh, kind of the same thing. A little nuance, maybe. Uh, he killed two of his wives. He killed a stepbrother. He kicked one pregnant wife, Papea, uh, to death 
after, uh, scold, after scolding for spending too much time at the races. Pregnant. Killed her. Okay? He was grief-stricken. Not because he felt bad about what he had done, but because of how pretty he thought she was. So he fell in love with Sporus because Sporus reminded him of his wife, the way Sporus looked. But the problem was that Sporus was a little boy. He had him castrated, had a wedding ceremony with a veil and paid the dowry and everything to have him. We're talking about very, very wicked. If you ever think you could come against a leader, you would think it would be him, you know? But guess what? Paul is writing these things during that time because Paul's emphasis is recognizing that even though leaders can become wicked, God's ultimately in control. And the main thing we need to do is get out the gospel, get people saved because people are perishing. And what really makes me sad is some, sometimes you have two different factions arguing about masks Well, there's people over here by the millions sinking into hell, you know? And it's like, let's not make the mask argument the main argument, amen? You can have an opinion, but let's let's do it in love with one another, amen? Let's encourage one another. Let's talk about these things, but not say, you know, shine you. I I disagree with your view on the mask. No, I'm around all kinds of people that I don't totally agree with on the mask view on both sides of the issue. Guess what? I love them still. And guess what? They all make some good points, except those that are constantly watching MSNBC and CNN. And don't look at the other side of the issue at all. I'm sorry, you know. Now, that's basically the, uh, the DNC's, uh, you know, media outlets. Now, it's interesting. Uh, this guy was so, so bad. There's, you know, the historical, you know, he played the flute supposedly, or the, not the flute, the lute, the fiddle, when Rome burned. You know, some dispute whether that was true or not, but they can't say it wasn't. Because this guy was such a wicked man. And a lot of historians say because this story, the history that's written about him is pretty close to when it happened. And a lot of people say the stories are so outrageously wicked, it would be hard to make them up. This guy was considered a very wicked man. And it's interesting, in 64 AD, a few years before Paul died, Rome burned, okay? And Nero himself was a suspect of the arson. And guess what he did? He blamed it on who? Blamed on Christians. Tacitus, the Roman historian, the first century historian, wrote this. He wrote, uh, he was a Roman senator too, quote, to get rid of the report that he had started the fires, Nero. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. He blamed it on Christians. He's like a picture of the Antichrist. Guess what? We have to still get together in some way as Christians. COVID-19 spreads. Do you think they're going to blame it on all the, all the protesting and all the, all the rioting that went on when the, when the liberals were saying, oh, yeah, this is a, what, oh, you don't need masks right now, you know? Oh, they, well, the masks hid them really well. All these, and then there was a spike in COVID-19 right after that. Do you see the liberals covering that, saying, oh, because of all the riots? No. Guess who will be blamed? Us. That means we need to go overboard, Amen in making sure that we're obeying the government when the government doesn't contradict Scripture and we disobey them when they contradict Scripture. It's pretty simple, guys. It's not that hard to figure out. Now, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Nero would actually have Paul beheaded in around 67, according to uh, history. But Nero blamed it on the Christians. And guess what he started doing? He liked to have parties in his huge garden. But he put Christians on stakes after dipping them and covering them with wax and light them on fire. You want to be the light of the world? They were lit in his gardens on fire. You know? Whenever you think, now if that was happening in Washington, don't you think we should resist the government? Well, guess what? It gets a little more complicated now. Because guess what? The government is representative of the people, amen? So we have a, we'll have a problem if the people say it's okay to come after Christians, Right? But right now, the people aren't saying that. Amen? But there are certain laws that are in effect, and there are certain guidances that are elect. It also gets a little more complicated, too, because there's a debate as to whether the laws regarding even the mask are mandates that could be upheld and you could be arrested by the police department or not, or whether you could be shut down or not. We called the police department twice. Carol Aguilar did. And both times, they said, you have to comply when you're inside, and you have to wear your mask when you're sitting down. That's the law. We said, okay. They said, and if you don't, they said, we, you may not, we may not come and arrest you, but the health department can just shut you down. Okay, that's a reality. So guess what? It's more important to me. Making sure I'm not disobeying an area that, that's not uh, unscriptural 
and also making sure I'm not shutting us down because I'm saying, I'm going to wear a mask no matter what. So I can't fellowship and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ together. Amen? That's just wisdom. However you tell me I can't sing, I can't fellowship, I say, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you, man, but I'm, I, I serve Jesus Christ as my king. Okay? That's the biblical balance, you know? And as I said, we won't all see it exactly the same. That's where grace comes in. That's why it says in Romans 14, one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems all days alike when it comes to service and worship. Let each man be persuaded in his own mind. One man thinks he shouldn't drink any wine. One thinks it's okay to have some wine, as long as he's not getting drunk, of course. One believes he can eat meat. One believes he can't. You know what Paul says? To get along with one another still, even though you disagree. To graduate to the point of love in your walk with God, to where you love your brother enough to where you can disagree with him, not get all bent out of shape. Amen? So that's why Paul says in Romans 14, accept one another, but not for the sake of judging each other. So it's not have an attitude toward each other. It's love each other. This person may have a different view on certain things than you. But when it comes to breaking the scripture and the government telling us to do something unscriptural, I'm sorry, there's no negotiable there. And I'll preach that even though some people, a lot of people, are total pacifists and they say no matter what the government says, we need to obey it. Wrong! If the whole fellowship left me because I'm saying, and I only have one person here, I've said this a thousand times, I would still show up because I'm saying, no, I'm going to disobey the government when they tell me to take the mark of the beast. Okay, and a bunch of people take it and say, well, Joe, you know, we want to, this guy is really changing the country. He's made America super great, whoever it will be, you know. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not taking that mark, you know. And if the government tells me I can't fellowship, and people are like, yeah, we want to obey the government because there could be some stiff penalties, you know. Well, I'm going to find whatever legal way I can fellowship. Like I said before, that's the wisdom. Unless I can't fellowship at all. I'm emphasizing that. Then I need to fellowship still. And so do you. That's not just to me. He doesn't say pastors, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. It's written to Christians in general. So let me give you some examples now. Some of the ones I mentioned rapidly last time. I want to get deeper. And then a couple of perhaps I didn't even mention. A few at least I didn't mention. Remember, Pharaoh was having the midwives, he commanded the midwives that were delivering the Hebrew children, the Israelites, to kill the babies, amen? To kill the boys, right? That was a governmental law. We're supposed to obey the laws of the land. But does that law clearly condemn Scripture, murder a baby? Does it, um, does it clearly contradict Scripture, murder a baby? Absolutely, amen? That's why we're against abortion, too. We take a stand, even though our government says it's okay. No, we, we, we say no. We resist that law. We stand up for life. We don't go around burning abortion clinics, but we take a stand within the law without being violent, and we don't return evil for evil. Exodus 1.17. But, see, the midwives did not, did not follow that law. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Do you notice what it said? But the midwives what? Feared God. You need to fear God. Now, Paul talked about, in Romans 13, he talked about, Fearing the government and their authority because they have the sword. I Meaning giving them the form of, a form of respect. But guess what? You don't fear the government anywhere like you fear, to fear God. And they, this was Pharaoh, by the way. King of Egypt. And guess what? The emperor of Egypt. It says, but the midwives feared God. That's the key, brothers and sisters. And did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. And you know what? Hebrews chapter 11, I love it. It shows what they did was an act of faith. Hebrews eleven twenty three. they actually made the hall of faith for doing this. The hall of faith chapter, amen? Because they're disobedience to government in this regard. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So evidently his dad was in on this too. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Did you catch that? They were not afraid of the king's edict. There's a few things going on here. They, they feared God. They didn't fear the king because they feared God more. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. Jesus said, don't fear man. He can destroy your body. But fear God. He can destroy your body and your soul in hell. In Matthew chapter 10, the same passage, he goes on to say, he that endures the end will be saved. The same Matthew chapter 10 passage, he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny me before my Father in heaven. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. In the same passage, he said, you're not to love your parents, your children more than me. Jesus has to be first in everything. Amen? So they had faith. They had faith. They feared God. They didn't fear the king. And this is, this, is a, this is the biblical priority, the biblical order that we need to have, that we need to walk in. Amen? Now what's interesting is God blessed them. 
He blessed them because of their disobedience. Catch this. I think it's interesting. He blessed them because of their disobedience to the government. Now keep in mind, they were submitted to the leading authorities. They were submitted to Pharaoh's rulership. They were making bricks and everything else, even when he sped it up. And it became very harsh. But when it was a clear, a clear word given against Scripture, they said, nope, we're not going to submit to that. And that shows us some of the balance here. Now it's interesting. God rewarded the midwives. You know what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 20? So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. He even gave these midwives, many of them which were single, families themselves. And he blessed them. So God will bless your obedience. Well, what if I'm obedient to him and I lose my head? That's even better than getting a household because you go right into God's household in heaven. Amen? Now, that's interesting because there's another fascinating commendation of another woman, not just the midwives, but another woman for her faith and her disobedience to the governing authorities in Romans 11 in the Hall of Faith chapter. I love it. And this would be Rahab. Amen. He, Hebrews 11, 30-31, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, and they had been encircled for seven days. Well, Rahab was a citizen of, of Jericho. And it says, By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient. After she was welcomed, after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Wow. This blows me away. In Joshua chapter 2, we read that Rahab defied the king of Jericho. And he gave direct orders to let him know what was going on. Make sure no one was helping the spies. And he, she obeyed his direct orders because she had faith in God. Amen. And she even helped the spies escape because the Hebrew spies had come into Jericho to check out the scene and get some intelligence, you know, see what's going on. And then they needed a way out. And she not only hid them, but she, let them, she helped them escape with a rope. And she's commended for her faith, guys. That was an act of faith and trust in God because she feared the Lord more than she feared the king of Jericho. This is, this is an amazing act of faith, and God rewarded her. How did God reward her? God rewarded her because when his, his wrath came upon Jericho, which was an incredibly wicked city with doing all kinds of wicked things, she was spared that wrath. And she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amen? How awesome is that? Amen? First Kings chapter 18. We read about Ahab, and we read about Queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Jezebel was a witch, you know, wicked woman hunting down. Remember Elijah, you know the story. It's a pretty crazy story. She's so wicked, demon-possessed witch. And guess what? Obadiah. This one's not as readily thought about when you think, think of these issues, but I think this is a great one because Jezebel was having all these different prophets killed. Before she went after Elijah, she had killed all kinds of prophets. Guess what Obadiah did? True prophets of God. Obadiah hid a hundred prophets. Fifty in one cave and fifty in another. And listen to what it says. Why did he do it? Why did, why did Obadiah risk his life? And even though there could be severe consequences and he was concerned about being killed, by the way. We talked to Elijah. Elijah wanted to report something to the king. He's like, they'll kill me. But he was a bold man though, but he was like, wait. And they hatched the plan, which worked. But it's interesting. It says that Obadiah in 1 Kings 8.12 says he feared the Lord since his youth. That was a key. Fear of the Lord is huge, guys. Not just in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. You have to fear God. Recognize who made you. Who gave you life. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Who you're going to stand before and give an account. Who shed his blood for you and paid that incredible price to save you. Amen? Who's preparing a place for you? We don't fear him as some tyrant. We fear him as, a, as the creator of the entire universe who we're accountable to, though. Who, it says there's one who is able to save and to destroy. Amen? That's the Lord. And we want to make sure we're trusting him and we fear him. And by the way, I know fear of the Lord was a motive in this and him hiding these guys. You know why? Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 18, verse 3. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Catch that? Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And then it says in verse 4, And when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. The context is, this shows how he feared the Lord greatly. Do you fear the Lord greatly? 
Do you fear the Lord greatly enough to where if the government tells you that you can't get together with other believers anymore, you're still gonna get together? I hope so. I hope so. In a responsible way. Now let's say all of a sudden the death rate, because the death rate has, has dwindled a bit as far as how many people have it, per, how many die, uh, but it's still serious, right? But let's say the death rate jumps up 10%. Okay, then we don't want to just say, well, I'm just going to get together and hug all my brothers and everything else and everything's going to be great no matter what the government says. We also have to be wise about how we relate to one another. Amen? Because diseases are real and, and sicknesses and diseases are one of the things that are a sign of the end days and it's one of the horsemen of the apocalypse as well. So even though we're still, we still ought to get together, we have to use wisdom as to what that looks like so we get together in a responsible, safe way and we're not infecting people. Do you understand that? That's just logic. But we still need to get together are you with me but what if we'd kill each other unless we got together only in this way but otherwise everybody would die then you get together only in this way whatever way that is but i'm not going to define in a hypothetical right now so it's interesting one thing i was tripping out on when i was exploring these passages because a lot of times i'll run around these passages these types of passages off or i'll look at one or two depending if i'm in a certain text but i thought it's going to be neat to kind of look at these texts closely each one of them to a degree and and see the commonalities and one of the things that stuck out in my heart and mind was faith in the lord and fearing god i kept seeing over and over again i'm like whoa man and those are things we emphasize here and maybe that's why these scriptures, and we're not, you've got to be careful that rebellion against the government is not our flesh because we have a fallen fleshly nature. And some probably, oh, I defy the government. And it's just their flesh, you know. You want to make sure it's biblical defiance. And you'll know the difference if it lines up with scripture or not. Now, it's interesting. The book of Daniel, I mentioned, records a few examples. Even though they were submitted to the governing authorities, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were officials in high regard in the government in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. You know that. And they submitted to the leadership until the leadership did what? Told them what? Break God's word. An example would be when they still, when they were called to break the Hebrew, because they're under the law of Moses then, the dietary laws and eat unclean foods. In Daniel chapter 1, they refused to break God's moral law there or break his uh, dietary law, I should say. In Daniel chapter 3, they were called to worship an image of Nebuchadnezzar, the golden statue. You remember that? And in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel, they were told they weren't allowed to pray to the one true God, their God. Did they obey all these things or did they disobey all these things? They disobeyed every one of those guys. So you could be submitted to a government and say, yeah, I'm in submission to the government as the Lord says to be a witness but disobey at certain areas when it tells you to do that which is contrary to Scripture. I think that principle is very, very helpful because a government goes off in a certain area doesn't mean I'm going to overthrow the government because I disagree with this one area. If that was the case, I would have been trying to overthrow it years ago because of what's allowed with abortion and set up another government. But there's legal ways you can go about things as well. Amen? You could do greater good. And that's why we've been one of those churches that's been very strong about fighting against abortion. Now, it's interesting because in Daniel 6... Daniel continues to pray to the one true God. And he's thrown to the lions. And God protects him. Isn't that interesting? In Daniel chapter 3, guess what happens, man? You have to bow down before the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, that was a picture of the Antichrist. Nebuchadnezzar, they were in Babylon not seven years like the tribulation period will be the seventh week of Daniel for seven years. They were in Babylon for 70 years right? 70. And guess what? While they're there, a dictator wants to be worshipped. And they say, let's make an image of this dictator, Nebuchadnezzar. And the image was, did anybody remember how high that image was? 60 cubits high. You know how wide it was? Six cubits wide. You know how many instruments it mentions to get the nation's people's tongues? because a universal language of music to get people to worship and bow down, mentions six specific instruments. You have three sixes there. No coincidence. He's a type. He's a picture of the Antichrist. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream he forgets, right? At least he said he forgot it. He might have been testing his guys, you know, uh, about the coming Antichrist. But guess what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did they bow down before this image? Yes or no? No. Well, that was easy because they were leaders and they were just going to get a slap on the hand. Wrong. What happened to these guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? 
They were thrown in a furnace, man. Fiery furnace. Intensified heat. And guess what? Just like the Lord saved Daniel and Lion's Den, guess what he did with them? He saved them. Now, that doesn't mean you'll be saved during the time of the Antichrist. There'll be a lot of saving where God preserves people to be witnesses still, and there'll be a lot of times he just takes people to heaven. What I love about their testimony, guys, and I think it's powerful, they said, we're not going to bow down to your statue, Nebuchadnezzar, your image, because they, they feared the one true God. But he says, because God is able to deliver us from the furnace. But I love what they say. Even if he does not deliver us, we still will obey him and not you. Isn't that heavy? That's faith. That's fear of the Lord, and that's faith. And God, and God champions that. He loves that in his people. If we're the true people of God, I believe you are. Amen? Fear the Lord. Have faith. Follow the Lord's word above that of government when government tells you to do contrary to Scripture. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, they were blessed too because of their obedience to the Lord. But in Revelation 13, you could go there if you want, we read about the coming Antichrist. And you'll be forced to take a mark either on your right hand or your forehead should it happen in your lifetime. Either That mark will be either the name of the beast, the name of the Antichrist, or the number of his name, which is 666. And if you don't take that mark on your right hand or forehead, you will be killed unless you escape to some area or hidden in some area and God hides you. Uh, and guess what? We have to suffer the consequences. Praise God for the consequences. I always say annihilation is glorification, man. You take my life, right? You can't take my soul. Look at Revelation 13, 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. There it is. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of the na his name. There is, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. If you don't take it, you'll be killed. But we're warned not to dare take it. Because it's an act of worship. Do you know in the early church, Domitian, some of the Roman emperors, you had to swear an oath to, that you'd serve Caesar as God? And the early Christians would not do it. Well, some fell away and did do it. But they were excommunicated from the churches. You had to burn incense. In fact, a lot of them went serving the Roman armed services because to be a Roman soldier at a certain point, you had to swear allegiance to the emperor of Rome, the Caesars, as God. And the early Christians said, no, we won't do this. We need to make decisions in our heart now so when these times possibly come in our lifetimes, we're not caught off guard and all in division about it. Know what the scriptures say clearly now. Do you know there's churches? I'm not kidding you. It sounds going to sound like a joke what I'm going to say. There's whole churches all over the place right now dividing over the mask. Mass exoduses if you believe this or that. And fighting with one another. Family members dividing, fighting with one another. And I'm like, man, this is the stuff we need to be concerned about. Right here, amen? And we need to be united in the last days in Christ even though we have differences of beliefs on what day of worship we can see what the scriptures say or you know that you prefer every day is the same or you want to get together on the Lord's day the first day is the most important day I'm not going to argue about that I'll discuss it with you but I love you you love me we go forward in Jesus together amen these are the things we need to focus on where this is all going because this because there's going to be a lot of people who take the mark of the beast that think it's okay to take it in fact go to Revelation 13 the wind blew my pages, but back up to verse 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. And that's not a good rendering, by the way. The NIV has it better there. If he's to be killed with a sword, he will be killed. If he's going to go into captivity, he will go into captivity. God knows who's going to go where in his foreknowledge, right? Uh, because the Greek construction is the same in both, with both ones, captivity and sword. That's why I say that. And it goes on to say, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The NIV is a better, I love the NASB because it's really more word for word, but the NIV is better at verse 10 as catching the thought. 
It says, this calls for patient endurance. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Look at the warning. Turn to Revelation 14 now. Look at the warning as to what happens if you go with the government and you take the mark of the beast and you disobey God. If you obey the government over God in this, because we have to obey the Lord God over government in this. Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 9. Then another angel, a third angel, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. I don't know how you could possibly put that warning stronger. To me, that's the most foreboding, most chilling warning of all of Scripture of condemnation in just a couple verses. It's like, wow. You know, the wine of God's wrath poured out without mixture. You know, torment for day or night. Day and night, no rest forever and ever. Wow. Why would you take the mark of the beast? The Antichrist is only going to reign for 42 months. If you take the mark of the beast, you have three and a half years before you go to like, before you're, you know, die and go to Hades. And then a little bit later, boom, then you're in the lake of fire on the final great Wayne throw judgment. Why would you do it? So ridiculous. Amen? So you have to, in your heart, say, you know what? I want to be a great ambassador for Jesus, a great representative in the government that I live in. And by the way, we should be very, 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 very thankful for a three-pronged government that we have that keeps, is supposed to keep itself accountable. It's becoming more and more corrupt, as we know. But you can live in a lot of parts of the world where there's guerrilla warfare right away and there's a whole brand new government before you know it, you're running for your life. So on one hand, we need to be also not be wimpy, but be thankful and say, wait a minute, man. Whew. This is a pretty good form of government compared to a lot of stuff going around the world, amen? And at the same time, we need to recognize that there is a Marxist insurrection right now that's taking place in our government, okay? And with the whole Black Lives Matter deal, I'm all for it. If you know me, if I've got, we all know this, okay? If you know me, uh, Red, brown, yellow, black, or white. That's who we are, man. We just love people in Jesus. Amen. That's who we are, right? And so I'm, I, I say absolutely Black Lives Matter. However, the movement called Black Lives Matter is a Marxist, anti-family, pro-homosexual, pro-Marxist agenda, pro-witchcraft, anti-Israel movement when you look at their platform. Okay? And it's growing and growing. And so we have to be wise to these things. I'm going to do a little thing on actually a whole... We might even do, you know... Uh, Chad, Tony, we might do a four-part series. That'll be maybe one of those months we do that. Just boom, 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 and just hit it hard, you know? Then we'll, you know, see where, you know, where the chips fall because it's about Jesus for us, amen? Now, it's important uh, to understand that this is the strongest condemnation. And by the way, verse 12, look at verse 12 of Revelation chapter 14. It says, here is the What? perseverance of saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus catch that in Revelation 13 when he says you won't be able to buy or sell right and you'll be killed if you don't have the mark and those be those that go to captivity go to captivity those who be killed with sword be killed with sword and it calls for perseverance on the part of the saints to remain faithful to Jesus right after that because he's saying hey you better remain faithful to Jesus right here because you're not going to be able to buy or sell and so forth and right here then he gives a strong warning he says the same thing what's the Lord saying to us and by the way, this is addressed to the churches, not to the Jews. Read Revelation chapter 1. He's saying, we have to persevere in our faith. In fact, listen to what the NIV translation says there. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God. Revelation 14, 12. This calls for patient endurance on the uh, part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. The Net Bible says, this requires a steadfast endurance of the saints, those who obey God's commandments and hold to their faith in Jesus. The New Living Translation says this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. That's a really good translation right there. NLT, I don't usually say that, but right there, woo, that's good, man. Well, guess what? You mean I'm going to have to give up my life, maybe? It, it beats going to lake of fire for eternity. Just think it through. Get away from this instantaneous gratification or feeling safe. Know the big picture. In fact, look at verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You'll be blessed if you die because you don't take the mark of the beast. Amen? 
What a contrast from what we just read. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Amen? You'll be blessed. The reason I preach, and I've preached this way, anybody knows me for 30 plus years now, man, because I've always been about prepping you for what might happen spiritually, amen? Because I know that even if it doesn't happen and crazy things are happening right now, I know it applies to this day because to this very day we need to be faithful to Jesus, amen? We need to resist temptations to be unfaithful to him. And there's application for the book of Revelation for the last 2,000 years about being faithful to Christ. Now it's interesting, if you die, you're blessed. And if you die, you're not only blessed, but God calls you a victor. Because guess what? The most radical thing to do is not go blow up a bunch of buildings. When the government lets you do it, by the way. It's not rebellion. The most radical thing to do, man, is die as a martyr for Jesus and show that you love the Lord so much that you're going to shine the light of Christ and you don't fear death. Amen? In fact, look at Revelation 15 too. These martyrs who die in the Lord and are blessed, look what it says. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. They sing the song of Moses and they sing the song of the Lamb. That's how you get victory over the beast, through keeping your faith to the very end, you know. Don't let anybody tell you it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Or if you talk, take the mark of the beast, you can repent later. I'm sorry. I've shown it. I've, I took a, a, we took a screenshot of the Tim LaHaye website that says, you know, they give a guy, let, let a guy get the mark of the beast in the Tim LaHaye series, uh, Left Behind series. And then Jenkins, who's his co-author, says, yeah, well, what we want to do is kind of float this idea out there and, and see what people thought about whether you could take the mark of the beast and still be saved or not. Like, what in the world? And he says, and, you know, we show that even though he has the mark of the beast, he still has the seal of God in his forehead. I'm like, what scripture is that? You know, and I agree with John MacArthur in some areas, disagree with him in some other areas. But John MacArthur, I've heard it on tape where he says, if, yeah, if people take the mark of the beast, they could repent later. The Bible doesn't show that happening. I'm sorry. It, it, it's very, very clear. These people that take the mark of the beast, it's like Pharaoh. Antichrist is like Pharaoh. Everybody's hard in their hearts. And those who take the mark of the beast, they blaspheme God in heaven. There's no repentance. You don't see them repenting. You don't see them repenting. Did somebody say we're cutting the service down a half hour? I didn't say that. <laughs> I never said that. We're doing our service like we normally do, just earlier. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, you guys in for a regular service? Yes or no? If you, if you, well, praise God. Okay. So you might have to adjust the numbers. We usually do a, a full service. But you know what? Let's make it, we'll do it half because we had half the music. Yeah, so we'll do it till 45 instead of, we'll do it till 1045 instead of 11 o'clock. Okay, and maybe even sooner because I'm getting pretty close. All right. Oh, are we having a problem with child care though? Oh, there's no child care? Oh, good. No, no excuses then. Praise the Lord. Okay, bring your children. So it's interesting here because we're, we're, we're really, this is so important, guys, that you catch this right now. Go to Revelation 21.8. Look at who the damned are. Look at who the damned are. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. This is a list of the damned after the tribulation period. But notice who is very first on this list, guys. Come on. But for the who? The cowardly. Why do the cowardly meet the first on the list? Do you know who the cowardly are? The cowardly are formerly professing Christians. In fact, A.T. Robertson, a, a Baptist uh, uh, a, uh, Greek scholar, foremost American Greek scholar ever, many believe. A.T. Robertson, I have his word pictures in the Greek. Jimmy, I think you just told me you purchased it too. It's really good. Uh, he states that this word translated cowardly here is an old Greek word that means to recant your faith under persecution. Now, I also like what... Uh, C. Speak says, or C. Spick says, and he says this in uh, the theological lexicon of the New Testament of this word. When Revelation 21.8 places the faint-hearted and the unbelieving in the lake, in the lake of fire, faint-hearted meaning the cowardly, it has in view Christians during times of persecution who, out of fear of suffering, renounce their faith. It's commonplace that human courage and cowardice are revealed in the face of death. Do not let fear run you at this time. 
I see on both sides of the spectrum people either fearing the government and just being paralyzed because of the fear of the government and getting their eyes off of Jesus, you know. And I see other people fearing the virus, fearing the virus and getting their eyes off of Jesus. We need to fear God, amen, above all else, amen. And then everything else will fall into place. Are you with me? Revelation 3.10, the church of Smyrna says, God says to the church of Smyrna, Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer because they're going to go through some persecution. So Revelation 2 is a picture for us. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you will have tribulation. Listen to what he says. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. In the Greek, it literally means the crown which is life. It's contrast with the lake of fire later, okay? He that overcomes will not, will, be, will not be hurt by the second death, will not go to the lake of fire. J.B. Phillips translates it this way, be faithful in the face of death. Uh, the Weymouth uh, New Testament says, quote, be faithful to the end, even if you have to die. Wow, that's pretty clear, okay? It basically means keep on believing in Jesus even if it kills you, amen? Keep on trusting in Jesus even if it kills you. Keep following Jesus even if it kills you. Because if it kills you, you're going to be wrapped up in his arms. Because to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Amen. Our sister Lola right now is with Jesus in his arms. Amen. And she's in the best place she could possibly be. When we did the memorial yesterday and then the burial a few days before that, we weren't in tears and there were tears, but we weren't in tears for Lola's sake. Amen. Because she's doing better than all of us put together I shared yesterday. But we're in tears because we're going to miss her so deeply. And of course, Chuck and her immediate family and her closest friends are going to miss her the most, you know. And it was so beautiful just seeing what her family, how they're reaching out to her. And, and uh, Linda, uh, you know, so close to her. And Linda Witt and, and two Linda Witts, Linda Witt too. And also uh, the Jordans and other people that just continue to pour out their love for her. Let's continue to love one another. Amen. And it's really cool. Thank you for Blessed Hope Livestream. There were Blessed Hope Livestream people just sending love, and one, I think the one in Texas sent her roses and said how much they loved her, you know, when she was still alive and, and uh, we're, we're praying for her, you know. We all need to be reaching out to people when they're going through hard times and encourage one another. Now, it's interesting. What about when you're told not to preach the gospel? What about when you're told not to preach the gospel? If the government says, Blessed Hope Chapel, you and the other Christian churches are forbidden to talk about Jesus and tell people Jesus anymore. Do we obey the government in that? Absolutely not. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, you could go there. Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. It says, now the ruling authorities had told them they weren't allowed to preach the gospel in a certain location anymore, a certain city. But we read in chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're not going to stop. Now it's heavy because this is the same Peter who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 to be submissive to the government. But here he says, no, you rebel. He rebelled when they told him they couldn't preach the gospel. See how that works? Pretty clear. Pretty clear. So Peter, they're saying, hey, Peter, you guys need to wear masks. Everybody else is wearing masks. I, I see him. Okay, no problem. Um, by the way, Peter, you guys can't talk about Jesus anymore. I see Peter saying, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You know, you got to get right, though. You're going to burn. Not that he's going to say it like that. He'll probably be more diplomatic. But hey, I'm trying to get out quick because I realize I don't have a whole lot of time. So a little bit later, the same authorities confront them because they keep preaching the gospel. Then if you go to chapter 5, verse 27, look what we read. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. We're going to be hated by all nations because of the name of Jesus, it says. They were already being hated on. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, listen to this, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Catch that? We must obey God, verse 29, rather than men. Amen? We must obey God rather than men. In fact, say that with me. We must obey God rather than men. One more time. We must obey God rather than men. We got to get louder, man. We must obey God rather than men. Let that be a memory verse for you. Amen? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Guess what? They catch up to him a little bit later. Acts chapter 5 verse 40, the same authorities. 
and they took the advice out of Gamaliel, verse 40, and after calling the apostles in, they whipped them. It says they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered, I love this, they're rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. In the modern church, I can't believe the Lord let me go through this trial and preaching the gospel. I got whipped. I was supposed to be wealthy and healthy and everything's supposed to be, you know. No, man, all the apostles pretty much were killed almost. They rejoiced that they were kind of worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you count yourself worthy that I could suffer for Jesus and that you've, God's done things in your life that have gotten you closer to him, that have shown you how to love him more and focus on his kingdom more and shine his light? It go, and it goes on to say, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I love that. After they're whipped, they rejoice that they're counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Wow, how could God let us go through the tribulation period if he loves us? Their attitude was, wow, Lord, thank you for letting us go through such times. We rejoice that we're counted worthy to suffer shame for your name. That's the attitude God calls us to you, brothers and sisters. Amen? How many love the straight word of God, man? Praise God. That's the way God helps us to continue to share it, you know. They continue to preach Jesus. So when we're told that we can't fellowship anymore, we still find ways to fellowship. Amen? We still find ways to get together. And we need to make a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, wow, that actually worked out for the one and a half hour folks who are hopefully not divided from the two hour folks against the one and 45 minute folks, you know. <laughs> but praise God, guys. Guess what? We're called. And before we pass out communion, I want to say this, guys. Listen to this. They wanted them to call Caesar Lord at different times during church history. They refused to. Jesus said this. The scriptures say that if we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, amen, with our mouths, and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, we shall be what? Saved. Amen? So I want to encourage you to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. And Jesus said if you continue to confess him, what? He'll confess you before the Father and the angels in heaven. Amen? Confess Jesus as your Lord. Never back off. If you haven't been saved, if you're sitting there right now or you're watching by live stream, and praise the Lord for you guys. Sorry we don't have the camera angles and everything, but we love you guys so much, and we praise God for our live stream family. We have a lot of Jesus lovers that are connected to us. We just, we just encourage you guys, never let go of Jesus, amen? But also be loving him all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But love your brothers and sisters fervently to where you can disagree agreeably, amen? And still love one another. And still get together and encourage each other in Jesus. Amen. Don't act like your view is the only view that matters. And you have perfect vision of something and, and get angry at everybody else because they don't see it exactly your way. Because guess what? There's as many different nuanced views as there are people here probably to a degree on certain things that have to do with COVID. But we love each other still. Amen. We march forward in Jesus as one. Amen. And we're going to continue to stand together in Christ. And Satan is going to try to bring great division to the churches in these last days. Don't let it be through the weakest arguments possible or the weakest things possible if that happens, amen. If we can't run when the foot soldiers are here, Jeremiah said, how are we to run when the horsemen come and the chariots come in the thickest of the Jordan and the four horsemen of the apocalypse are coming? Amen. We need to stand together in Christ. Could we all, speaking of standing, please stand up, keep your place. We're going to pass out communion to you and we're going to take that in remembrance of what Jesus did for us as our Lord and Savior. You guys,